coming up on This Week in Games. Valve lights the VR world on fire with a new VR-only Half-Life game. Stadia stumbles out the gate, to no one's surprise, and the game industry loses a legend with the passing of Brad McQuaid. Coming up, This Week in Games. It's that time of the week for your video game industry news rundown. I'm your host, Eric McConnell, and this was a giant week. <laughs> we had major announcements, tons of fundraising, action, and some interesting people news, and I'm, I'm really excited. This, this was a big week with a lot of interesting, juicy news. So, first story, as I was ordering the tombstone for VR, <laughs> Valve comes seemingly out of nowhere to announce the first Half-Life game in 13 years. <gasps> as a VR-only title. So Half-Life Alyx will ship in March of 2020 as a VR-only title coming free to Half-Life or to Valve Index owners, and which is Valve's own proprietary headset and VR platform, and will cost $60 to other VR headset owners. So if you own like uh, HTC Vive or Oculus, 60 bucks. The game takes place between the first and second Half-Life game, generally pointing to this not being a major new entry, but kind of a side entry in the Half-Life series as, you know, Half-Life 3 is what people kind of are desperate for and they want to see what happened after the end of Half-Life 2, I think episode 2. Alex is expected to take advantage of Valve's Index's proprietary gripping and hand sensor technology, so that'll be pretty interesting. They've already pointed to that. Um, Valve's founder and secret ultra-rich person, Gabe Newell, stated that VR has re-energized the company. Now, I hate Valve, not not just for rejecting me in 2017 when I interviewed there, but for making me look stupid on my own podcast. I'm so annoyed by their VR optimism that I'm going to buy this stupid Valve Index when Valve uh, Valve's Half-Life Alyx comes out. Just so I can see what the hell Newell and crew are optimistic about, I personally can't see it. I just can't see it. Um, like, I just feel like VR just sucks after a week. Like, I just don't see it. But, you know, I mean, if Valve is investing in it and they're kind of pivoting the whole company's future almost on this title, gotta mean something. Um, so let's give it a shot. Now, along with the announcement of Half-Life Alyx, Valve announced that they'll soon release the Source tool, Source 2 tools for developers, though. Not as popular as Unity or Unreal, Source is still a hugely popular engine, and Source 2 has built some of the most played games on the planet, notably Dota 2. So I'm actually interested to check out the Source 2 tools that are going to release. I think they're coming out March 2020, along with Half-Life Alyx. So pretty interesting announcements all around. Valve always does amazing products, and you know they've stumbled a bit recently. They had a CCG game that never really went anywhere, but, you know... Valve has some of the smartest, they're like the Google, oh, I shouldn't say that because of the next story, but they're like the Google of the game industry where they just, you know, they have some of the smartest people in the entire game industry working for them. So, you know, anytime they do anything, anytime they announce anything, anytime they pivot towards anything, it's always worth taking a note. So got to check both those things out. All right, next up, Stadia fumbles out the gate. And to no one's surprise, <laughs> now Founders editions of Google's cloud gaming platform Stadia were shipped and received last week. However, the console requires an activation code, which unfortunately didn't arrive in the time with most of the consoles. So Google claims that all activation codes have been sent out of them now. 
However, still, I still haven't received mine. So basically, to utilize Stadia, you get like a controller. Uh, the Founders Edition comes with a Chromecast Ultra and a controller. The controller feels like it. The triggers on the controller are great. I like the weight and the balance of the controller. However, the controller feels really cheap. I think the buttons are a little too sharp. The D-pad also a little too sharp and not as like smooth um, as far as like pressure on pressing down on it. And the controller like straight up feels like as if a college student 3D printed an Xbox 360 controller. Like it just feels slightly cheap and it looks cheap and it just, you know, you're trying to wow people with your product and this is the controller you could have done a bit better. Basically to utilize Stadia, you have to download a mobile app, sync the controller with the app, activate your account with the activation code and play on the available surfaces. Though another gripe of mine is you know, I read the list of available services that came with my Founders Edition, and all of those are Google-owned. So you need Chromecast for TV, you need a Pixel phone for mobile, and Chrome for web browser to play on, like, a laptop. All bullshit. You don't, you don't need Chromecast to play. I mean, this could this could stream anywhere. I, how come I can't play it on my Roku? And to tell me that Pixel phones are the only phones that you can use right now, also a complete and utter joke. And, you know, on top of that, I still haven't received my activation code, Google, so I haven't even played Stadia. Like, I actually have to call your stupid customer service and complain. It's it's ridiculous. And my, my Gmail account is the one I signed up with it for. So it's not like Gmail should be blocking Stadia activation codes. I don't know. It's such a big fumble, such a big fumble out of the gate. And looking at reviews online, honestly, they range from Stadia's unplayable to it's playable, but the latency is noticeable, which again, it doesn't spell, you know, success to me. And uh, yeah, I just, this couldn't have been a more botched console competitor <laughs> launch, you know, having worked at Google the culture there really doesn't lend itself to execution and product design. So I anecdotally felt like this fumble was inevitable. I mean, if you think about Google, the best way I can describe it is it's like a, a business that's made for PhD dissertations. Like people just want to go make cool technology. You know, they want to like experiment with ideas and build stuff, but they do it all backwards. So, you know, they don't address like customer needs or, you know, how stuff can fit into the marketplace. They come up with cool technology and then try to fit it in somewhere. And the after they fit it in somewhere, the execution on like taking that to a consumer experience, you know, no one wants to do that there. And so that's where they fumble and that's, you know, what you can see with Stadia. <sighs> yeah, I mean, could you imagine the PS1 or the original Xbox screwing up their launches this badly? And this is on top of the lack of promised features and launch titles that include games that were launched six months ago to games that are over two years old at this point, and all of them are $60, when like you can get those exact games for some of them under $20 you know, on Amazon right now, box brand new, some of them including all the DLC, under $20 on Amazon, Stadia wants you to pay $60 for them. So you can almost assume at this point that Stadia will be long dead before any of Jade Raymond's studios produce a single game. Like I, I just don't understand this. I honestly like the activation code thing for me is the last straw. Like Google is a technology software internet company, right? Okay, and you got me my hardware on time, shipped to me in a box, great. You didn't send me an email on time? Like, <laughs> 
Like, this is your job. Like, this is what you do. You do internet services. Like, how did you not send the emails with the activation codes in time for everyone who received it? It's just so ridiculous. It's so it's so Google, you know? And that's all I can say. All right, next up. PUBG to remove locks on their in-game loot boxes. So, following Epic Games, Rocket League, and other industry leaders, PUBG will also phase out its lock requirement on loot boxes. So, basically, in PUBG, you got... Uh, loot boxes or i think they call them loot crates and you need a keys to unlock the locks to open them and get all the crap that's in them now you don't uh i don't know exactly how it'll work but you know rocket league went with transparent loot boxes some people are removing the keys and lock all together and just give you the stuff pretty interesting i'm curious to see how this like you know affects long term i i assume that retention is going to go up now that you're getting items that you can actually use every time you play so it might be good for everyone. Um, obviously, revenue will take a hit in the beginning, but maybe you can find other ways to uh, make up for that revenue. And let's let's all be honest. This is probably a bit of a preemptive regulation before the governance comes in and actually slams down actual regulation. So I really you know applaud all these companies for going this route ahead of time. They see the writing on the wall. They see all the governments getting angry. Go ahead and just you know, start being cognitive when you design games in the future around this and take care of it now so that we don't have another Battlefront 2 incidents. Thanks, EA. All right, and last up in the new space, Amazon doesn't want to be left out of the cloud gaming limelight and a quote-unquote rumor is dropped by CNET the same week as Stadia's release that Amazon is quote-unquote secretly working on their own cloud gaming platform. So it's set to be release of Q4 2020, same time as PS4 and Xbox Scarlet. Amazon is looking to leverage AWS, Twitch, and, and their horrible game engine Lumberyard to make a cloud gaming platform competitive with Microsoft and probably whatever is left of Stadia at that point. Famously, Amazon Game Studios, all three of them, have yet to produce a single title in the eight to possibly 12 years they have been at it killing their only publicly visible game in Alpha for being too boring and announcing that they're working on a Lord of the Rings MMORPG earlier this year. <sighs> Amazon. I doubt the problems that play Google are not present at Amazon, but I will say I feel like Amazon will at least make sure their cloud gaming platform is playable, and Amazon will likely spend massive dollars to grab one or two exclusive titles at their launch. So if you look at kind of the difference between Google and Amazon, you know, Google competes on technology and experiences and amazon competes on margins and so you know you can point out differences where like both companies haven't done that however that that's just my opinion so google's going to try to build the best most like unique awesome technology with all these stanford phds um and then try to compete in open open ecosystem by going hey look look at their technology and look at ours you clearly want to use ours amazon on the other hand will be like they're also going to have they're going to have great technology. Everything's going to work. However, they're going to go, "Hey, we'll make Google wants to make a dollar every minute. We'll make a penny every minute and we'll drown Google out of the market." And so, it depends on what market they're competing in that who wins, right? And so, it'll be interesting. I I really think Amazon will look at what happened with Stadia and be more cognitive, and I'm pretty sure Microsoft is just counting $100 bills at this point cuz there's no way they can lose the cloud gaming market. All right, let's kick off business news. There's a lot of business news, so I'll try to fly through it all. First up, Network, that's a, a three instead of an E in Network, raises $40 million in Series 3, or <laughs> Series C. Network is a mobile game developer mostly known for their Puzzles and Dragons clone, Legendary Game of Heroes, and their upcoming Tetris 99 clone, 
Tetris Royale. Almost all of their senior staff comes from NG, Moco, and DNA. That $40 million will go towards expanding development to include multiple titles being developed at once and to turn into kind of a publishing outfit. And this is where I kind of disagree. Almost all mobile developers want to hit it big and want to turn into publishing. I don't know why. Like mobile publishing is such an abysmal money sink at this point. You'd be better off just spraying praying seed investments into mobile studios than trying to publish their titles. So <sighs> come on, you got to learn from other people's mistakes. I think Scopely is probably the only major north american publisher that still tries to kill it with mobile publishing and even then they're it looks like they're going more towards acquiring their developers rather than leaving them as a publishing partner but i mean network has their eyes on zynga jam city and scopely so let's see if they can rise up and uh be the new american kingpin in mobile gaming all right next up this was an interesting one pro prolactariat raises 20 million in series c for self-publishing so Looking to self-publish the upcoming Battle Arena game Spellbreak, Proletariat raised a hefty Series C. Spellbreak kind of looks like if you took Harry Potter, and Harry Potter existed in the Dragon Ball Z universe, and was a Battle Arena game. So that's all I can say. It just looks like like crazy epic spell fighting that more resembles a shonen anime than like Harry Potter. It's currently in closed beta on Epic Game Store. I think you can check it out, to be honest. Uh... You might be able to buy into it or request into it. Interestingly, though, Prolariat's Series C was led by Take-Two, likely giving up a giant piece of their equity pie. And generally, if you work with a publisher, you're either giving up the IP depending on when the funding comes in, and you generally share revenue and profits between the developer and the publisher. However, the, if the publisher invests in your fundraising rounds, you're likely to keep the sales from your game, but if you get acquired, you get a much, much smaller piece of the uh, piece of the pie. So your IP and you as a company are kind of like worth less to you as an individual owner of a company because you've given out so much equity. Whereas the other side, you get to keep that equity and you're betting on long term, you're going to sell the company and make tons of money. So you're going to give up a lot of the profits and revenue from the sales of your game. I don't know. I don't really, uh, I don't know how many times like a major publisher like EA, Activision, uh, or Take-Two, invest in companies rather than publish their games and then let the companies go and self-publish. So this was kind of a first time I've seen it on this show. I'm interested to see how this works out. Maybe it's a new future pattern we see in funding. All right, next up, Mythical Games raises $19 million in seed round. Mythical Games is touted as both a game creator platform and an MMO, so I assume it's some sort of Roblox-esque competitor. Former Telltale CEO Pete Howley has joined a CPO. Mm. Strangely, this 19 million in seed is followed by almost an immediate 15 million in Series A, just a little over a week later. I looked up the company, their trailer for their software game that they're talking about was called Blinkos Block Party. Doesn't reveal too much. I think it was a mostly cinematic CG trailer. So I guess we'll have to see if this will compete with Roblox as a rival. All right, next up. Dream Games raises 7.5 million in their seed round. So Turkey kind of continues to dominate the casual games market. As Dream Games raises its seed round, led by early stage investor Mainstay, Makers Fund, and Balderton Capital. Dream Games was founded by several Peak Games members. Peak Games, which sold to Zynga in 2017 for their casual games. I think they had like casual card games like Gen Rummy and stuff. Very likely they were in contractual, this is me guessing, they were in contractual lockout after selling peak games to Zynga, which is like a, normally a year or two, maybe a year and a half. 
Then that lockout was over, they quit Zynga immediately, and they went on to found another casual mobile outfit, and they hoped to probably make this another success, sell it off to another conglomerate, and pocket more millions of dollars. You know, you, you definitely see this market moving more towards, like, uh, lower cost of living countries in Europe, like Poland, um, Turkey, like Dream Games, because casual mo mobile market, especially hyper-casual, is like, it's rough. And so you really need to compete on much lower margins. So you can't have people in SF with SF salaries competing in casual mobile market. It makes more sense to be in these countries. So congrats to Dream Games. I'm sure you can do it again. <laughs> All right. This one's another weird one. Group video chat app Bunch raises $3.85 million in a third seed round. So the old rare <laughs> third seed round. Bunch is a group video app chat platform that integrates with games from Flappy Bird to PUBG. Their funding was led by Supercell, Tencent, Riot, Miniclip, and Global Next, all focused on expanding its partnership and game coverage, which makes sense because this round was led by all game companies. However, like I looked up videos of this stuff, and when I pl play mobile games, the last thing I want is chat and video popping up on my cell phone. Like I'd be really curious to see their retention and usage numbers because I frankly don't think like Clash Royale players want video chat, like FaceTime chat while they're playing their game. So pretty weird. Um, maybe they think of themselves more as a Discord competitor, I guess. I don't know. Another weird one. And let's go to people news. So first up, I'm happy to see this one. Game industry icon Amy Hennig joins Skydance Media. So the former creative director of Naughty Dog famous for her work on the Uncharted series. I think she won multiple awards from all types of award shows. Amy Hiddig joins the film studio Skydance, known for many, many blockbuster series from Mission Impossible entries to the latest Terminator movie. She'll be working on a team focused on interactive storytelling, likely for streaming services. So if you remember uh, the Bandersnatch Netflix um, Black Mirror thing, that's, that's what I kind of get the feeling she's going to head up over there at Skydance Media. Honestly, I can't wait to see her impact on the interactive fiction industry and kind of just see what she does. She's, you know, it's kind of like she's one of those people who rarely misses, you know, when they take a shot. All right, last story of the week. This one um, hit hard and kind of seemed out of nowhere. Legendary MMO developer Brad McQuaid passes this week at 51. And so this is personally a sad one for me. McQuaid is best known for his work on EverQuest. He was a co-founder of Sigil Online Games, where he was the lead, leader in design for the original EverQuest, released in 1999. Wow, that game is 20 years old. He then went on to lead development on the ill-fated, kind of overambitious Vanguard Saga Heroes. In 2014, he co-founded Visionary Realms and kickstarted Pantheon, an MMO effort to bring back the magic from the original EverQuest. Honestly, EverQuest was immensely impactful, kind of not only on my choices in the game industry and to pursue games, but on my life in general. Um, Brad McQuaid is one of the first names in game development that I like knew and looked up to. You know, I'm sure people 10 years older than me uh, looked at Miyamoto. Um, other people look at Will Wright, Sid Meier's, um, maybe Peter Molyneux if you're fucked up in the head. But um, Brad McQuaid was kind of like my dude because when I played EverQuest for the first time in 1999, it was like, what the hell is this? Like, I, was, I think I was in middle school, like sixth grade, and my mind was 
blown, like just outright blown when I played it. I was like, what is this? I'm inside a world. I'm inside a living, breathing world. And kind of like I looked up who was responsible for this. And, you know, there's obviously a giant team of people, but Brad McQuaid was kind of like the leader on that design. And so for me, that name was always synonymous with like what I wanted to impact other people with my efforts in the game industry. Now, I'll share a little story. Um, there are rumors back in the day that Brad McQuaid played a Wood Elf Ranger that ran around on my original EverQuest server, dual wielding black iron bastard swords, which I think at the time were two-handed swords. So he was like breaking the game by taking two-handed swords and putting one in each hand. Um, and I swear to this day, to this day, I saw him in Greater Fate Arc outside the newbie area, running around giving out like money and helping uh, new players. I forgot the name of this character. Um, but I remember I, I messaged like friends that I knew and I was like, dude, there's, I don't know, there must be a glitch in the game. There's this like Wood Elf Ranger dual wielding Black Iron Bastard Swords over here. And everyone was like, wait, what? And they, were, they all knew that that was Brad McQuaid. And then they didn't believe that I saw him. And at the time, I didn't know that was him until they explained it to me. So, you know, it's, it's stories and events like this that will almost randomly live with you forever. I remember it like yesterday, and I'd like to thank Brad for impacting my life, for impacting the life of hundreds and thousands of EverQuest players, and kind of the game industry as a whole, because without him, you know, very likely we wouldn't have a World of Warcraft, very likely we wouldn't have, you know, massive games that spawn from World of Warcraft, like even like Destiny and other games, so he definitely left kind of his mark on the game industry so brad mcquaid you will be missed um it's sad to see you go at 51 especially not completing pantheon it's a rough it's a rough one you know all right that's it for this week in games if you like what you hear please hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app also leave me a comment i'd like to know how i'm doing um and give me five stars because you know stars are good all right guys i'm eric mcconnell I'll see you next week for This Week in Games.